Oh, wonderful salvation from sin, he sets me free. I feel a sweet assurance, and that's enough for me. Oh, that's enough for me. That Yes, that's enough for me. I feel a sweet assurance, and that's enough for me. Oh, blood of Christ so precious poured out on Calvary. I feel the cleansing power, and that's enough for me. <laughs> yes, that's enough for me. Yes, that's enough for me. I feel the cleansing power, and that's enough for me. The simplicity of the gospel. It is so profound, the wisest minds in the world can't understand it, but so simple, a five-year-old child can when God reveals it to them. Is that not amazing? Matthew 27, verse number 45. Look at these words. Now from the sixth hour, that's 12 o'clock noon. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land under the ninth hour. That's three o'clock in the afternoon. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, this is Aramaic. Eli, now when any, and this is a transliteration. A transliteration is when you translate sound for sound. Translation when you translate concept to concept. The King James Bible's translated word for word, but there's places where they transliterated words. And of course, God the Holy Spirit gave the permission to do it. And uh, it's like baptism. That's a transliteration of baptism, you know, the Greek word. But it says here, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, in other words, that's what this means. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, this man calleth for Elias. Of course, that's Elijah. Straightway, every one of them ran and uh, one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. This man evidently. So moved by Christ that his heart was moved with compassion. But when he brought him something to drink because of his suffering, the rest said, let be. They stopped him. Let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. Behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened. And many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. I want to talk to you tonight about the subject I do not understand. And what little bit I do understand, I want to try to give it to you. This is the most profound thought in the Bible, in my opinion, forsaken by God. Amen. Verse number 46 is a text verse. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, 
My God, why hast thou forsaken me? By Jewish calculation, the daytime started at 6 o'clock in the morning, and that was considered the first hour. The third hour was 9 o'clock, the sixth hour, 12 o'clock, and the ninth hour being 3 o'clock in the afternoon. What we've got recorded here in these first three hours are the first three sayings of Christ. And then the last three hours are the other four sayings, or what we call the seven sayings of Christ. Now, the first, the, the first thing the Lord said on the cross was primarily delivered to the Roman soldiers. Now, you think about those that crucified him, those that uh, put a crown of thorns upon his head, those that beat him with a cat of nine tails, those that took their fists and abused him, mocked him, humiliated him, abused him, spit upon him. These are the ones that primarily, Christ said, Luke 23, verse 34, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do secondly the second saying of Christ was to the thief Luke 23 43 and he said unto Jesus Lord remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom Jesus said unto him verily I say unto thee today shalt thou be with me in paradise the third saying consider the caretaking of his mother John 19 26 when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple, that's John, standing by whom he loved. He said unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Now, these first three sayings of Christ uh, reveal the mercy and the grace of God. I can't imagine, you can't imagine the unfathomable pain and the suffering and anguish and agony that Christ is going through and yet he's not concerned about himself He's concerned about these soldiers. He's concerned about this thief on his right side. And then his mother. What an illustration of the heart of God. But at noontime, high noon, at the zenith of the brightness of the sun, which was from 12 to 3 o'clock, we see Matthew 27 and verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land under the ninth hour. Now this is not a normal darkness. This is a supernatural darkness. Luke 23 verse 44 says that this darkness was over all of the earth. I do not believe that this darkness just covered Jerusalem. I believe it covered the whole world. Of course half of it would already be under darkness but God cut out the lights of heaven for three hours. Even Roman historians talk about that day and it's recorded in history. How those three days, Pilate even recorded that they lit lamps from 12 o'clock under 3 o'clock. Now this could not have been an eclipse. That was an impossibility. There's never been an eclipse how that totally, how that resulted in total darkness. And an eclipse doesn't last for three years. It's a wrong time for this to even be possible. Uh, the, uh, the Bible tells us it's the time of the Passover. That means it's the middle of the month and the moon is full. That's when they had Passover and the moon's on one side of the earth and the sun's on the other side and the eclipse would have been a total impossibility. I do not believe that God just turned out the sun. I believe the part of the world that was in darkness
this. That God did not even let the stars twinkle at night time. I believe this whole universe was thrown into the blackness of the darkness. That's what was happening on the cross of Calvary. Now this was prophesied in Amos 8 and verse 9. It shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord God, I will cause the sun to go down at noon. I will darken the earth in the clear day. Now this darkness reveals the mystery of the cross. It tells what the cross is all about. All through the Bible, darkness represents judgment and judgment on sin. It represents other things, but primarily judgment. Christ is being judged in your place and mine. 1 Corinthians 15, 3. Christ died for our sins. 1 Peter 2, 24. Who is on self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should not live uh, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you're healed. And then 1 Peter 3, 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh but quickened by the spirit. 1 John 4 10. He sent his son to be a propitiation that's an atonement for our sin. Galatians 3 3. He was made a curse for us as it is written. Cursed is every man that hangeth on a tree. The Bible says it pleased the Lord to bruise him. And the Bible says in Isaiah 53, he was smitten by God. All of the fury, all of the anger, all of the wrath of God against sin was poured out on the body of Christ. Hebrews 2 and verse 9, he tasted death for every man. Therefore, the darkness is symbolic of the unleashed, unbridled wrath of God upon Christ who's died for our sin in our place. Now the Lord knew no sin. Therefore, he can't be dying for his sin, but for yours and for mine. The darkness speaks of the judgment, of the meaning of the cross, and then the mystery of his cry. Uh, this is really where I want to get. At, at about noontime, under three o'clock, the Bible says, when this great darkness covered all of the face of the earth, the most chilling, the most tragic, the most horrifying, the most terrifying words ever fell from the lips of a man, fell from the God-man. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me. Now this is the second miracle that happened on the cross. The first one was the supernatural blackness and darkness all over the earth. And now what I'm reading is supernatural. I do not understand it. It's as mysterious as the incarnation of Christ. How Christ was born of a woman but yet had not a human 
heaven father how that Christ had a body just like ours with all of its weaknesses but it had no sin nature for he was the God man now the cry of Christ here is beyond human understanding and human reasoning John 10 Christ said I and my father are one no doubt about it we know that so one God manifested in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then how can God and Christ, how can one be forsaken by the other? It's a miracle that we do not understand. For six hours, Christ endured immeasurable agony. It is interesting to know that the Bible does not tell in lengthy a description of physical suffering of Christ but the emphasis of scripture is always on the spiritual suffering of Christ I can't imagine the pain of having nails hammered in your wrist and in your feet I can't imagine that I can't imagine what it would be like to be suspended on a wooden cross held up by nails for three hours in the in uh, the condition that Christ was slumped in a position to where every once in a while you get enough strength to push yourself up to keep from suffocating. His muscles are cramping all over his body. The blood is running down to the ground. And the thorns have been pushed in his brow. He's been beaten by the fist of men. He's been beaten with a cat of nine tails. Blood is running in his eyes. Blood is running in his mouth. The flies are coming upon Christ. Can you imagine all the insects and the flies how that covered his body and he couldn't even shoo them away. He couldn't scratch where they were tormenting him. I mean just something we may not calmly think about to say nothing of the nakedness and the humiliation and the agony and the reproach and the mockery and the sarcasm and the demonic venom that was flowing out of the mouths of ungodly wicked men and of Satan himself. But worst of all, Christ felt. Don't miss this. Christ felt. Christ experienced all of the anger all of the hatred all of the wrath of a thrice holy God against sin not one person sin not the anger at one person but Christ felt the anger and the hatred of God almighty against sin that's ever been committed think about the garden of Gethsemane what's Christ praying about if it be I will let this cup pass from me nevertheless not as I will but thy will be done Christ what's he agonizing about what's in that cup I'll tell you what's in it his suffering I'll tell you what's in it sin I'll tell you what's in that cup uh, sorrow what's in that cup is separation from God 
And that's the thing that Christ, uh, the Bible tells us, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Why did he drink that cup? He drank it to the last drink so there'd be none left over for you to drink and for I to drink. He paid the sin debt in full so there'd be nothing left over for you to pay. He paid it all for three hours. Christ, his hand in the darkness he's taken all the guilt all the shame all the blame for your sin he got blamed for what you did for three hours he got blamed for what I did for three hours again he felt the hatred the animosity of God against sin like a laser it was directed all on the one that we call Savior, all of the inequities, all of the injustices ever Hitler that ever lived, ever Stalin that ever lived, ever Saddam Hussein that ever lived, every uh, Bin Laden that ever lived, ever murder that ever lived, ever child molester that ever lived, ever a wife abuser that ever lived, ever vile, filthy sin and anger and hatred and malice and jealousy and envy was all poured on Christ and he suffered all of God's anger against all of that of every man at one time. That's why I say this is more than my mind can comprehend. So how do you understand it? You understand God, the same way he uh, explains it in the Bible by illustration. So I'm going to illustrate it. Let's say, Brother Jesse, since you're on the front row, I'll use you. A man breaks in your house at nighttime, wakes your family up, and they're in total terror. You tie them up with ropes and chains, and all night long, You take cigarette lighters and burn them. You take knives and cut their flesh. You threaten them, terrorize them, and uh, they're screaming in fear. And then as the morning breaks, rape the wife, rape the girls, abuse the boys. And then that man takes a dull knife and slowly bludgeons All of that family, one by one, in cold blood. But he makes sure that there's a little bit of life left in every one of them. So when he walks outside and he steals all that you've got, he takes a match and lights that house to burn it to the ground. As he hears that mother and those children are screaming as the fire is about to engulf their body, he walks down the road with a demonic life and with the blood of that mother and those children all over his shirt. Can you imagine such a scene? But then five blocks away, the policemen catch him and they arrest him. He's still a lifeman and mock. The death of those that burn up. He goes to trial. And Brother Jesse, you're the judge. And you're the executioner. The daddy of his 
this wife or these children and the husband of that wife and that man shows up in that shirt that's got the blood of your family still on it. And I want to ask you tonight, what kind of anger would you have? Then let's say that somehow the law would allow it. And Brother Clayton walks up, says, Judge, I want to take this man's place. I want to die in his place. I want you to impute his sin on me. Therefore, I'll pay the price that he deserves to pay. And you step over to that man, Brother Clayton, and say, Son, take your shirt off. And you put that bloody shirt on you. And brother, you're the executioner. He's accepted the blame. He's accepted the guilt. He's accepted the shame. The more you look at that shirt, you see the blood of your children and the blood of your wife. You see the violence. You see the torture. You see the rape. You see them being burned alive. Now let me ask you, your hatred is not against him, but what that shirt represents. That's exactly what happened on the cross of Calvary. He put your shirt shirt on. That's right. He put my shirt on. And all the anger and the wrath of God Almighty that would have fallen on me and the Lord Jesus Christ died in our place and gave his all. And God poured out all the wrath he had and Christ did it for you and for me. Boy, when you think about that, it changes everything. Boy, I'm talking about a price. Oh, price that Christ paid to save our soul. It's higher than the highest mountain. It's deeper than the deepest ocean. The love of God that motivated him to put on my shirt and to have my sin imputed to him knowing God the Father would pour out all of his wrath. But brother Jesse, it wasn't just one man. He took the coat of every man that ever lived, every woman boy and girl and took all that blame all that shame all that sin and he paid the debt in full in Adam our federal head I died and I'm guilty I died in Adam but God you say man that's a horrible thing oh no it's not that we all died in Adam makes it possible for us to all be alive in Christ. He was federal head of the human race. But Christ became that second Adam, the head of another race. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. At the cross, he felt real nails. He felt real thorns. He felt real wrath. He felt real darkness. He felt real desertion. He felt real sin. He felt a real hell. But I was in Christ and I kept the law because I was in Christ. I was crucified because I was in Christ. I was buried rose again the third day because I'm in Christ. And I've been set free from the penalty and the power of sin. Thank God. And that's why God's youngest can't go to hell and then been saved by the grace of God. It's like I sinned in Adam. I died 
Christ and have been resurrected and set free, justified by faith. You say, hey, you're preaching that. How do you understand that? You don't. You believe it. Paul said it. I am crucified with Christ. That's what he said. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. On the cross of Calvary, Christ was impregnated with the church. And thank God he gave birth when he cried. It is finished. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Are you getting those words? Not my father. Not my father, but my God, my God. Why did he say that? Because he took the place of a sinner. And the sinner God is not your father unless you're saved. And Christ took my place. And I was a hell-bound, hell-deserving sinner. And he took my place, took my sin, took my blame, took my guilt. That's why he cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You think of all the sufferings of Christ at the cross. This is the greatest. Did you know that according to what Christ said... Him being separated from the Father was worse than bearing your sin. As much as he hated your sin, him being alienated, abandoned of God the Father was the greatest price that he had to pay. What's hell? Forget about the fire, even though I believe it's there. Forget about the darkness and the bottomless pit. What makes hell hell is eternal separation from God Almighty. Jesus Christ hung on the cross and the greatest of all. Listen, when they nailed him there, he didn't cry that. When God put your sin on Christ, he didn't cry that. When he cried, why? That self-forsake me was when God the Father treated him like you in hell and turned his back on his own son and withdrew his fellowship and hated Christ that day because he bore sin not Christ as a person but he hated what he become he became sin for you and me now the question is did Jesus cease to be God no He can't cease to be God. Was Christ cut off from the nature of God? No. Did Christ lose fellowship and communion with God? Yes. But he was still the God man. If he had ceased to be the God man, he would have been destroyed. Now this gives a little insight of the incarnation of Christ. What did Jesus pray in John 17 and verse 5? And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. 
There was a separation of some kind of glory and not just his brilliancy of glory, but fellowship and relationship. There was something that Christ so hungered for again to get back to that glory that he had before the world began. Child of God, it's never don't own me nor most of you even a thimble full of what it cost Christ to keep us out of hell. Oh, the price he had to pay is beyond our comprehension. Jesus wanted whatever he had before he is incarnated, that glory back. He yearned for it. So there was some degree, and I don't understand it, but some degree of separation there. But at the cross, he was abandoned. And for three hours, Christ did not just pay for sin for three hours. He paid in infinity, eternality, what a man would suffer in all eternity. Christ paid for every man. You'd have to be God, the God man, to even do that. That shows us who Christ was. Oh, think about this. God the Father hates sin so bad. Don't miss this. How bad does God hate sin? He hates it so bad that when your sin was put on Christ, He turned His back on Him. He smote Him. Now you can talk about from a religious standpoint, the Jews cried for his blood. The Romans nailed him there. That it was God the Father that put Christ on the cross. There's not enough armies in 10 million worlds to nail the Son of God to a cross of Calvary. It was God the Father that nailed his Son there. It was a purpose of God the Son. That's why he came into the world. He was born to die for us. Now let's try to illustrate this again. Of all the sin that's ever been committed since Adam fell and Eve fell. And that sin passes us up under the last sin ever to be committed at the end of the millennial kingdom. That's a pile of sin. If six billion people in this world sin at least once a day and a lot of them sin once a minute or once a second. How many sins would that be for one day? Do you try to contemplate this? If all the filth and all the vileness and all the wickedness and all the self-righteousness and all the sin could be gathered somewhere in the edge of the universe in some great cosmic cesspool. I wonder how big would that cesspool be? With all the vile and the filth of humanity. And to think at the cross, the Father opened up the floodgates and poured all that out on one man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when God poured it out, all that cesspool was poured out on Christ. And at the end, when the last bit of that filth got on him, then God turned his wrath loose on him and his anger loose on him. No wonder we ought to love him and when we get to heaven and get a little bit of an understanding of what Christ done for us.
Jesus will praise him forever and forever and forever. Did Christ die? Sure did. Death is physically, is the body being separated from the soul. Did Christ die spiritually? He sure did. Spiritual death is separation from God. He didn't cease to be God because he never sinned himself. But he died a physical death and a spiritual death. That's what death is. It's not cessation of being. When a man dies here, he lifts his eyes up in heaven or hell. He doesn't cease to exist. Death is separation of the body from the soul and the spiritual death of the soul from God. And Christ was separated from God the Father. He Listen, he knows all about it. He knows about hell. He knows about wrath. He knows about judgment. Why do you think he'd go through what he went through? Because he had pity and mercy and love upon us as human beings. Now I'll read to you Psalm 22. Some of it. This is where this come from. Christ is repeating what's written over here in the Psalms. And the Lord, David wrote this. So those Jews that were religious standing by well understood or or they had heard these words. And it starts out in Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then the Lord gets into a lot deeper just how bad that that was. Why art thou so far from helping me? And the words of my roaring. Why did Christ say that? You need to know what he went through. I need to know the next time the devil tries to get me to slack up and quit God. Uh, the devil tries to get me I tell you be a warrior your savior was a warrior he deserves people that are warriors that are tough and will stay in the fight and not run from the battle when I read what it cost him it does something to me he said oh my God I cry in the daytime thou hearest not in the night season and am And am not silent. See, God turned that day into night. It was midnight at midday when Christ died. He goes on and says, Blessed art thou, or but thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted. And thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee. By the way, God said he'd never leave you and never forsake you if you're saved. Your Savior was not granted that. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. Here's what Christ said. I am a worm. And no man a reproach of men and despised of the people. Now it'd be one thing if they were lined up, millions of them. Uh, bound down worshiping him and praising him but while he's dying for them they're laughing at him mocking him spitting at him and saying all manner of evil against him oh what could do such a thing it's called the love of God almighty this is what he says 
All they that see me life me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted on the Lord, he'd deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighteth in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was on my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. How art my God from my mother's belly? Be not far from me, for trouble's near. There's none to help me. When God won't help you, there's none to help you. Many bulls have compassed me. Here's those old demons. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. Christ said, they gaped upon me with their mouths. They done that in the darkness. While Christ is bearing your sin, suffering the wrath of God, the demons are gaping upon him with their mouth. Has a raven and had a roaring lion. The wrath of man, the wrath of God, and the wrath of Satan was all poured on Christ at one time. Now do you wonder why hell's forever? Man reject Christ? Boy, if we ever got a hold of this, my soul, and we can't in this body, we can't a little bit. And just a little bit will absolutely run you to God and worship. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. When Christ put on that cross and they lowered it in the ground, his bones were not broken, but every bone out in his body got out of joint. His arms would have been six inches longer where his bones was out of joint. God have mercy. And the physical suffering was nothing compared to what he's got to endure at the hand of his own father. His own father. Hey, dads, could you do that to your son? Wesley, could you do that to Samuel? My God, I'm talking about a perfect son. And God the father smote him for you. Because Jesus said in John 17, he loved, Father loved you as much as he loved Christ. My strength or uh, my heart's like wax. It's melted in the midst of my bowels. All that fluid's building up. My strength's dried up like a pot shirred. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Thou hast brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me. Now, the dogs in the Bible, in the Old Testament, a dog is a male prostitute. You want to bring the price of a dog into the house of God. In the New Testament, a dog was a false prophet. These are demons behind sodomy. These are demons behind false uh, uh, heresy. Dogs have compassed me. You've got enough sense to know this ain't dogs around the bottom of the cross. This is spiritual. Dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Almost a thousand years before the execution method of crucifixion was brought to bear, God prophesied that his own son would have his hands and feet pierced. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. That's what they did at the bottom of the cross. They're, they're, you can't, listen, this is it. Amen. This is Calvary right here. 
Be not thou far from me, O Lord. O my strength, haste thee to help me. Brother Jesse, I think about this. When you're having an operation, or you're in a dentist's chair, or even the least amount of discomfort, the greatest consolation you've got is that it's about over. Christ knows how long he's got to hang there. But in hell, it'll never be over. Oh, God, help us to understand this. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth. That's Satan himself. For thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorn. I'll declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation. Will I praise thee? I'm talking about a death of all deaths the wrath of all wrath punishment when God even judges a man in hell listen to this after he's judged he's cast in the lake of fire the Bible plainly says it'll be more tolerable for some than for others some will be beat with few stripes and some will be beat with many stripes and even in that is a tinge of mercy but on the cross Christ got no mercy whatsoever Christ cries to the father in separation you know what the crowd does? They get another big laugh. Saturday night live all over again. He cries, they said, for Elijah. They didn't misunderstand him. They're mocking him. Elijah was believed to be a patron saint. And they're saying he's crying for a patron saint Elijah to come and deliver him. He thinks he's a Messiah and Elijah's got to prepare the way of the Lord. And he's waiting for Elijah to come and save him. Here's this man brings vinegar and going to give him some. They say, hold on. Let's wait for the side show. Let's see if Elijah shows up. He died for their mockery. He's a dying for their sarcasm. He's a dying for their unbelief. They don't appreciate it. They didn't say thank you. They didn't say, God, I appreciate They mocked him and laughed at him even more. The meaning of the darkness, the mystery of the cry, and the measure of the consolation. The fifth saying, when Christ has the darkness begin to lift, it's when Christ cried, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then he cries that two-word phrase, I thirst. Now it's obvious the Lord knows he's about to give up the ghost. I mean, I preached this last Sunday. I'm talking about the one that opened blinded eyes and and opened up deaf ears and the one that made the lame to walk and caused uh, the dead to rise and healed the leper. He's uh, done all that in the power of his strength. He's uh, hanging on the cross and in his weakest moment, he looks up, turns out the power of the Son. I'm talking about God. He's in control. He knows he's about to die. He's not asking for something to drink, I thirst. Oh, no. The heat of the day and the heat of hell and the wrath of God. What did the rich man cry out in hell? He cried for water. 
Now I'm not saying this does reveal the suffering Christ went through, but it's more than that. If his suffering, if the emphasis is spiritual and not physical, Christ never complained about the nails. Did you ever notice that? Not one time. He didn't say one word about that cat of nine tails. He didn't say one word about those thorns. It was separation from God. And when he cried, I thirst. This is a spiritual thirst. His desire was his father. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I thirst for God. I thirst for fellowship. I thirst for his communion. I thirst for his love. I thirst that he turns back around and smiles on me. Even while he's bearing the curse, engulfed in sin, paying the debt, he's thirsting for God. Finally, Jesus cried, it is finished. And he said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And he gave up the ghost. I'll tell you how much power he had. Boy, when a man got to that point, Brother Wesley, they'd pass out. They'd choke. They'd suffocate. But Christ had the power and he cried. That means he screamed the cry of victory. And heaven said this. He gave up the ghost and it died in victory. You know why I died in victory? Blood's been shed. You want to die in victory? You got to get to the blood. Christ never lost faith in the word of God. His father turned his back on him. But Christ never one time lost faith in the word of God. He knew Psalm 22. That's why he's a crying. My God. Hey, the sinner can't say my God. All the sinner can say is God or curse God. But Christ said my God. My God. Hey, at his weakest point, he had total faith. He is going to come out in victory. In hell... The cry of the sinner is not the cry of Christ. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's the cry of Cain. My punishment is greater than I can bear. And I can prove that. What did the rich man cry out for? My punishment is greater than I can bear. He didn't say that in those words, but he said it by his actions. Send Lazarus to give me one drop of water. If you're screaming in the fires of the damned, you mean the thing that you're going to ask for is a drop of water to cool my uh, tormented tongue that goes to tell you how much they say when a man gets thirsty enough, you could cut his hands and legs off and there's no pain the human body can experience as anguishing as thirst is. That's why Christ said, of all I'm crying for, thirsting for, is to be back where I was with my father. More forever. Hell is forever looking at God's back. Hell is forever being forsaken. You think about tonight the restraining grace of God. 
What if you tonight you're lost? You've heard us that are saved talk about God's forgiveness. When that load of sin was lifted off of us, peace of God come in our heart and the joy we have. And to know, not for a thousand years, for there's no purgatory, but never, ever, ever will you know nothing but a nagging, threatening, accusing conscience and your sin and the cry, my God, what have I done? For three hours, Christ suffered in darkness. I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. Listen, folks, I'll tell you something. Let me just illustrate this. Seth was trying out for or going and signing up for football, okay? It's when he's smaller. And so he's real helpless, a boy that small is helpless. And there's a boy there was a bully. He is bigger than any boy there. And I can't help this, Jesse. I got a weakness right there. I can't stand a bully. I can't stand them. I mean, I can't stand them. When I was a kid, I got more fights taken up for kids getting picked on anything. I can't stand a bully. My daddy raised me that way. And every time I seen a little kid being mistreated, my daddy's poor and hardly had any clothes and shoes. Raised in poverty. And I seen my daddy getting picked on every time I seen a kid getting picked on. And that old bully thought he was going to pick on Seth. Son, I almost hit him. I was a hollering damn coaches. And I know the anger. Here I am, a preacher. Supposed to be full of long suffering. But when I seen my boy getting picked on. I went crazy. I couldn't even believe it myself how I reacted. And it embarrassed me. The anger. It's just that kid pushing my boy around. Sinner, friend, are you listening to me? What God's going to do to you? If you die without Christ and what your sin done to him and you reject him, oh God. I mean, I can't even, I, man, it makes chills run up my back. Oh God. Christ was abandoned so I could be accepted. Christ was forsaken so I could be forgiven. Christ was judged so I could be justified. And the central word of the gospel is substitution. That's what it's all about. He took my place. And the greatest display of the grace and the love and the wrath of God was the cross. Christ drunk all that cup. There's nothing left for me to drink. He's done paid the bill. There's no, I don't even have to pay the tip. None left to pay. Salvation's Christ. Man goes to hell for unbelief. The reason man fell in the garden, I guess, or the garden of Eden is he didn't believe God. And when God saves you, he brings you back and makes you believe his word. That's what getting saved is. It's taking God at his word and believing him. Now, it's hard for us to get there because of our depraved nature. But that's where it's at. He that believeth not is condemned already. God always puts emphasis on belief. Because some people won't believe because they think their sin's too great. After Christ went through all this and they don't think they're worthy. Don't think you're worthy. My God in heaven, who's worthy? 
Think you done too bad after what he did and I've been too bad? You say, well, God can't love me. God don't love you after that? Do you see what I'm saying? The devil always sets you up with that question mark. You can't live it. You're not good enough. God can't love you. You've been too bad. You've gone too far. And he always puts Christ just barely out of reach. Because he keeps you in unbelief. Now, I don't know what you need to do tonight. But in my heart, I know what I need to do. I need to be grateful. I need to walk humbly before this great God. I can't listen, folks. I'm trying to, I'm trying to find words and they escape me. They're not in the human language. How in God's name can you express this? This is love beyond any illustration. It can't be comprehended because of the great measure Christ went through. But I'm glad he died in my place. I've told this story here so much. You've heard this. Dr. Ray used to tell us all the time. Every preacher in the country's told this story, and I rarely tell it anymore because it's so well known. But maybe some of you not been around the gospel hadn't heard this. Years ago, back up in the Appalachian Mountains, a bunch of roughneck boys, and they couldn't keep a school teacher up there, one-room school building. They couldn't keep a teacher because them boys are so mean, is unruly. And every time they'd get a teacher, they'd terrorize the teacher till the teacher left. And they'd went about a year and a half, two years, and couldn't find anybody to teach them boys. And they sent out word and then the papers and tried to advertise. And this little old boy from up north come down there. Little old 130-pound young man just got out of college. And he appears before the town folks and said, I hear y'all got to open for a school teacher. Man, they looked at him and laughed. They said, man, you got to be kidding. So them boys have you run off the first half a day. He says, well, how many, how many people have you got that's seeking the job? A- applicants. They said, none. He said, well, what have you got to lose trying me? Well, he said, well, I guess nothing. So then everybody's let, everybody was told and the next week the school starts back up and the teacher's there. Well, the teacher's going to use a little bit of reverse psychology on these boys. And he says, now, boys, before we start school, and the girls was all right, they wasn't causing no trouble. Said, now, boys, I done heard how rough you guys are. You just mean, just mean. And if we're going to have school, we've got to have rules. You can't have school without rules. He said, but I'm not going to make the rules because you're going to rebel before I even make them. I'm going to make you make the rules. So, boys, I want you to come up with some rules. Back then, that's when they whipped you, or whooped you, whooped. That's when they laid the lash to you. One old boy spoke up and said, thou shalt not lie. He said, what's the penalty for lying? Five licks across the back. And another said, thou shalt not curse. What's the penalty for that? Well, that's even worse than lying. Seven licks across the back. One big old boy named Jim, old big, big old boy in overall said, Thou shalt not steal. Anything I hate, it's a thief. Well, what's the penalty? Ten licks across the back with the shirt off. He said, man, that's a little severe, ain't it? He said, well, you told us to make the rules and we're going to, you, you make the, we're making the rules and we're giving the sentence for the rules and you get to enforce it. He said, well, that sounds good to me. Well, they went on a day and. 
next day and come to the end of lunch period and time for everybody to go back in. And old Jim just snorting mad. Somebody stole his lunch. Next day it happened again. Next day it happened again. Teacher called all the boys in there and said, now boys, you've done made the rules. There's a thief in here. Somebody's a still no big Jim's lunch. He's the one made the rule, and the rule is thou shalt not steal. Whoever stole ten licks across the back with the with the shirt off. And man, everybody froze. Teacher knew who did, because she stayed he stayed behind that last day. And he waited and he waited and nobody confessed. And he stepped up to the lectern and just looked down at this little old boy sitting over here. And when his eyes met his eyes, that boy's trembling. Started crying, stood up, said, I'm the thief. That teacher says, oh, God, that little skinny boy. How in the world? If I don't enforce the law, I've lost all credibility and might as well shut the school down. That little boy stood up crying. (laughs) And said, uh, teacher, why? Mom and Daddy didn't raise me to be a thief. Six months ago, they both died. Nobody would take me in. And I've been out here sleeping in barns, trying to find a little something to eat to survive. Said, I seen that boy's lunch bag, and I didn't mean to. I didn't want to. But my, I'm just so hungry. That teacher said, son, you, you know the rules. Take your coat off. And he said, I can't do that. Don't make me take my coat off. Whip me 20 times, but don't make me take my coat off. Teacher said, son, you was here when they made the rules. You know what they are. That boy took that coat off. Little old clothes, threadbare. You can see his skin, the bones. Boy, old Jim jumped up and said, Teacher, you ain't whooping that boy. You ain't whooping that boy, I'll whoop you. And that teacher said, You're the very one that said there's nothing I hate like a thief. You made the rules, and this boy broke them. And the broken rule. Has got to be paid for. And that old big Jim said, but he don't have to pay it because I'm going to take his place. And old Jim come up there, let down galluses of his overalls and took his shirt off and said, I want 10 big licks laid across my back. Because when I go home, I'm going to tell my daddy that I took that boy whipping and I'm taking him home with me and he's going to be my brother. And my daddy's going to take care of him. That's exactly what Christ done. You broke the law. I broke the law. And Christ said, Father, don't whip them. Whip me in their place. And thank God the Father did one of these days. He's going to take us to his house where we'll never sin again and we'll be taken care of. It's called the grace of God. Adam's fallen race. Let's stand our feet tonight.